Hello and welcome to our Great Conversation podcast. Today we're going to talk about insurance as it affects the construction and real estate industry. I'm Brendan Sharkey, Head of Construction and Real Estate at MHA, and I'm delighted to be joined by Neon Mavromatis, Managing Director of Construction, Kerry London. Neon, welcome. Um, I think the first area I'd like to touch on is that probably most problematic area for the construction industry, which is the PI market. It's had a difficult few years with premium increases. Is this a situation? Is it continuing? Or are we seeing improvements? What's the current place, Neon? Uh, Hi, Brendan. Uh, so far this year, uh, we are starting to see the professional indemnity market start to level out as far as premiums are concerned. Um, whilst rates haven't actually gone down, uh, we're not seeing the significant spikes that we saw sort of two or three years ago uh, when um, the market started to turn. Um, we're not quite seeing insurers providing any more cover than than they, they did in the past. Um, so we're still seeing the, the key exclusions around cladding and fire safety on, on, on properties. Mm. Uh, but we are starting to uh, see insurers uh, levelling out as far as uh, the costs are concerned. Um, it, is a, it is still a challenge uh, because those costs did go up significantly uh, and some of the larger construction firms have tried to adjust their premium spend by taking higher deductibles, uh, but obviously um, trying to mitigate those with high deductibles does obviously have an impact potentially on, on the bottom line. Uh, but at the moment, um, I'm pleased to say that we are starting to see it level out a bit. When you say deductibles, is that what I call the excess? Yeah, yes. yeah, they're going to take a higher risk or take a higher um, acceptance of risk before they get a payout. It's basically yeah, that's right. And and okay, so the market is stabilised. I suppose is what you're saying. Um, it, are other people coming into the market? Is 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 the opportunity for other players coming in, or is it is it pretty stagnant? Overall, we've started to see insurers come back in. Uh, several years ago, uh, there was a, a quite significant exit uh, by insurers in the PI market, but we are starting um, to see insurers come back in. I think the premium levels that are now being um, tabled are, are giving some of the insurers uh, an opportunity to bring in some premium. And as a result of that, um, I think that's where we're starting to see as well the fact that the premiums are levelling out. So although insurers are um, still cautious around primary layers of cover, so writing the first two yeah, million, or, yeah, sure, um, sure, sure. we are seeing um, uh, more insurers coming in at an excess layer level uh, and wanting to uh, put terms forward. So from that perspective, uh, there is more of an appetite uh, in the market we're not seeing as many uh, exiting as we did before, but we are starting to see some of them come back in now, which is which is encouraging. Mm, that will help, won't it? I mean, it? That will make the premiums a little bit more competitive and a bit more excitement for people and a bit more opportunity to shop around. Anyway, uh, I, I presume there's still people out there struggling to get PI cover, even in this maybe more open market. What, what's, what's the... What's the state of play there? Is this the design and build factor? What, what, what's what's causing the problem in the marketplace for um, for construction? 
everyone's finding it challenging, predominantly due to cost. Mm. Um, so um, in the early days, there were the issues around people's contractual obligations, where a lot of people had signed contracts on, on a basis of any one claim cover, and they were struggling to get that because the market, as much as some said it's levelling out, we're still not seeing uh, an expanse in the cover that's being provided. Most insurers are still quoting aggregate limits or aggregate with round-the-clock reinstatements, uh, but we're seeing very few, if any, put in terms forward on, a, on an any one claim basis. So a lot of the market, a lot of the contractors are still operating with exclusions uh, that are leaving them either uninsured wholly or partly on some of the works that are being undertaken. Um, and that has a bearing on main contractors who are, who are signing up to a design and build contract. Those professional services uh, are subcontracted down and when you're looking at the, the PI risk, you would then talk about the fact that that risk is a contingent risk to the main contractor because they've subcontracted that work out to a professional. So ultimately, if there was a, a claim that would sit with the, uh, the, with, the, with the professionals that have done, as an example, the design. If they can't get the cover, then the contractual obligation sits with the main contractor. Sure. So some of the insurers are still considering that and saying, there is a potential for the risk to sit with the main contractor under contract and as a result they are not charging the contingent rate that we would like to see. So there is still that that challenge um, but um, the fact that we have got uh, more insurers in play we're hoping that at some point we will start to see um, a bit more cover coming back in. One or two are talking um, around expanding the covers that were previously taken away. So hopefully um, we will see um, an improvement, maybe not in the immediate short term, uh, but I've, I've seen a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. So you, you're quite clear that there are certain construction companies that don't have full cover for the work they're doing. I mean, that, that's, 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 it. that's there, is it? Yeah, I mean, the, especially around cladding, mm. cladding exclusions, the fire safety exclusions um, that are on are on the policies um, leave people exposed. So if 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 somebody's going to get uh, a recladding done, are, are we saying there's going to be any limited contractors that can do that? Because the word cladding has got such a bad name in the industry, you know, people start to run for cover. I don't know. The the, the challenge is that on professional indemnity, the cover is arranged on a claims made basis as opposed to claims occurring. So the contract that you signed today, and let's say you did have cladding cover today, if the claim materialises in 18 months time and by then you've gone through a renewal cycle and you no longer have cladding cover, there is no cover for the work that you've done and the contract you signed up to because it's a claims made policy. It's the day the claim is made, whichever cover you have in place at that time is, is what kicks in as opposed to claims occurring under public liability which takes you back to the date that you were carrying out the work because that must have been potentially when the problem occurred and, and that's where it leaves um, a number of contractors exposed and yes there there are contractors out there who are running with very limited if any cover at all for the work that they're carrying out. 
Because of what they've done in the past. Because of what's occurred in the past. Okay, sorry. Um, I stand corrected. <laughs> I will. I will defend the, the contractors up to a point um, because um, I believe the uh, the issues that we're experiencing are far wider than just laying it at the door of the contractor. Sure, no, I get that with the architects and everybody else that's yeah. involved in terms of putting something together. So yeah, that's fine. What about the um, the, the building safety bill? You know, what impact do you think that will have on the PI insurance? There's um, a lot of positive safety measures that have been introduced um, as a result of the of, of the new of the new bill, and the introduction of the new um, watchdog, uh, the increased powers that the health and safety exec are now going to have, um, and adopting the principles that they're talking about, which is transparency, consistency accountability and the general duty to, to plan, manage and, and monitor uh, during the build are all um, very positive measures. Some may say that that was in existence before, but people weren't following it. Um, so the fact that all that is happening is excellent. The Hackett report obviously identified a number of uh, negatives and hence the the, uh, the the safety uh, bill coming through. I think there's still some more clarity that's needed uh, around who has specific responsibilities and uh, specific liabilities within the, uh, the the new arrangement. But it has extended the liabilities um, on the uh, defective premises act uh, and the like. So extending those liability periods, I think at some point although insurers haven't come to um, a detailed discussion on it yet, I can only see that if you've got more time to put in a potential claim, if those claims do come through and they are um, successful, it's only going to have a, 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 an effect on the premiums one way. But I think it's a little, little bit too early to uh, to, to see what that what that will be. You know, as a layman, you know, sort of working in the industry, I, I I found that quite quite worrying. You know, to think that you've got a thirty year liability yeah. on on a, on, a, on a build. Um, bear in mind, people do have the ability of, to come back with twenty twenty hindsight and say, well, of course you should have done this and you could have done that. And even even if the claim is spurious, maybe you, you know, it's going to consume quite a bit of professional time and worry and concern and, and and put people's credibility maybe in a, in, a, in a difficult situation. So I was quite surprised at that that length of time of exposure. I really was. But the more modern buildings as well, when when you think that we're we're seeing certain buildings in uh, in certain areas that are potentially only 40 years old, that are potentially being knocked down sure. and, and replaced with more I know. modern, I know. Um, having that 30 year um, Potential hanging over you is is uh, is a is a difficult one to to, to swallow, especially as um, if there is cover under the PI policy, um, it may end up just incurring costs to defend and prove that yeah. there is no responsibility sure. there, sure. Uh, and those costs generally aren't recoverable. So there is um, sort of that legal expenses type uh, benefit that comes through these policies that will defend. Um, their policyholder, if they believe it's the right thing to do, but it adds to the the, the, the claims history. It does. I mean, again, you do wonder whether, uh, when you see in construction, whether you'll be tempted to 
as I do with a number of clients, you know, specific projects, you ring fence the the project and you deliver um, the outcome. Uh, you close that company down. You move on to the next one. You, you, you've normally done that for commercial risk, but you've also done it many times for um, the financing side. You know, a lot of projects want to be ring fenced from a financing point of view. So there is a market reason for doing it, but you don't normally leave anything behind once once you've done your your delaps and your your, your remediation work and whatever. You you walk away and you you start a new project somewhere. So I don't know how the insurance industry is going to cope with that or whether there's going to be cross guarantees or, you know, those sort of indemnities flying around just to protect. I don't know. It's it's I don't see how it's going to work totally in practice. No, and I, I think there's uh, better brains than mine to uh, uh, fathom that one. I mean, on the larger uh, projects, um, we are uh, we are carrying out more and more project policies. So they are uh, specific policies for a development. Uh, yeah. You know, be it it's a shopping centre or a hotel sure. over a certain size, it, it does sit as a as a as a project cover. It's a standalone. Um, yeah. And we have um, in the past looked at the possibility of of tying that into a, a professional indemnity as well. But with the project running, let's say for four or five years as a development, you're then you, the requirement under contract usually is for a 12 year indemnity for the professional indemnity is how you tie those up. Um, we have looked at it. We had the fact that we've quite got a solution to that in the industry yet, uh, but it may be something for the future. Does it mean that you actually start to segregate the design and build elements again? You know, from a risk management point of view, do you start to say, well, as a construction firm, I've delivered what? And I think that's what Ryden are trying to say. Yeah. They're just saying we we delivered what we were asked to deliver. We we didn't change any of the spec. We we delivered what was right. So, it, it, and therefore you put the onus maybe on the design side into another into into another sphere. You know, if from a contractor's point of view, does he really want to get into design? He probably doesn't. No, and and the and the insurance policy will follow what the contract says. Sure. And I I've maintained for a long time that some contractors sign a design and build contract. Uh, but they are uh, to an extent policing the design that someone else as a specialist has done sure and um, as a result of that if they are following exactly what that design says should they then be responsible sure. or should it be actually passed down to the, the the organization that actually did the design which is what does happen in sure. many cases but under contract they assume responsibility sure. for it yeah yeah so unless the the contractual obligations are changed, uh, they will be. Is this a bill still rather than an act? Or, uh, it's an act, act from uh, end of April. Oh, it is. So and it the, right. uh, okay. the defective premises um, uh, act and the, the extension of the time will come into play at the end of June. That's fantastic. That's very clear. Thank you very much. Neil, can we move on? Let's let's talk about a very delicate subject, I think, and, and, and I'm aware of a number of contractors, large contractors getting caught up in cybersecurity issues, you know, quite frightening um, amounts of money and time and management that go into that. So what is the state in terms of insurance in the cyber market? You know, I presume the market is increasing, that there's more requirement for it. Um, but what, what is your experience there? I mean, what's interesting is that uh, if you look at the government's cyber security breaches survey that was done this year, there's only roughly 34% of businesses um, that actually 
um, invest enough in their cyber defences. Um, and, and that amount is really 34% is uh, what they're putting into their business continuity planning. Um, so there is a, um, a big threat. Um, many businesses still don't have cyber cover in place. And despite the massive growth in the cyber attacks that are partly being driven by the fact that we change the way we operate. You know, we've got uh, people working from home. Yeah. They're dialing in through, they're connecting in through their, uh, their own uh, Wi-Fi networks. And that is exposing um, businesses to, to a wider potential, potential threat. So the market itself, um, or the insurance market itself, will tell you that the most common threats um, are uh, email phishing attempts. Yeah, yeah. Um, over 80% um, of the, uh, the, the threats come from, from that um, avenue. And insurers are seeing and are paying some significant claims now. They're not at the sort of level of uh, the professional indemnity um, because premiums on, on, on cyber generally have been quite low. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are starting to see quite quite big multiples um, of premium increases. So I say not to the level of, of, of PI, but in percentage terms, yes, you're, you're seeing some some significant increases in, in premiums. And some of the insurers now are, are adopting that what we saw early with with professional indemnity at the time where they're reducing the amount of cover they will give. Uh, so where they might give them five million before they'll only give you two million now, they're looking to increase the excesses. And, and they're looking to put up premiums. And some of them, um, depending on the level of security you have within the business, uh, many won't provide uh, terms at all unless you reach a certain level of uh, risk management. When you say security in the business, is that financial security or actually an assessment of the it's, uh, the IT controls and procedures and the practices they've got that actually... Absolutely, it's the IT controls and procedures that they're interested in. So what we're seeing now as a, as a minimum is if you don't have MFA, multi-factor authentication, the chances are you're not going to get um, an insurer that will come to, to the table and provide you with, with, with any sort of terms. Um, most of the uh, cyber policies uh, that, we, that are offered are really split into two two areas there's the there's the first party which is in effect protecting your own financial losses um, caused by the cyber attack so that's data breaches system interruption this is where you get the the, the um the, the phishing scam where you end up parting with money because someone has um, managed to get into your systems and, and convince you that they are genuine and the other one is ransomware, mm. where they manage to get into your system, close it down, mm. and want significant amounts of funds to mm. um, release what they've locked down. Mm. The other is the third party section, uh, which uh, protects you from uh, a, a claim or a, or a challenge from, a, from an outside company that may have been um, attacked. And, but the breach originally occurred from within your system. So either your, their data has been captured through your systems and it's been used uh, to open up, another, open up another channel, another channel elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. The majority of claims that insurers see are first party. So they're generally where you're being held to, 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 um, uh, to ransom or 
where you've been fished. Do, do um, the main contractors, the tier one, uh, look to specify you've got to have? Is anybody putting a demand on contractors to have security, um, you know, cyber security insurance? Or is it still an, a new field that's starting to just... It, it, it's still a new field, but I think in time it, it will come. Mm. I think it will come. Um, contractors hold huge amounts of subcontractor data. Um, and that's really the area where there could be a um, an opportunity uh, to steal. I mean, more recently, um, we had a, an episode uh, with a client where um, they were sent an email, and very quickly after that, they were sent a second email saying, "Sorry, the information we gave you earlier was slightly incorrect. Uh, this is the account you need to submit the money to." If you look at the email very closely, there are some very minor yeah. adjustments within the email, know, but it's, 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 it's you sometimes it your quick emails is a quick thing. You yeah. don't look at it completely. You think and you're expecting it. Your brain is saying, oh, I expected that. Oh, he wants to change it. OK, that's fine. Let's get on. But if it's someone, you know, yeah, you, know. you tend to be I know. less suspicious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. The, the money was paid. Yeah. Uh, Seventy two thousand pounds was, was paid across to a to a spurious account. Yeah. No, I, I, you, you see it all the time and, and they're very clever. The psychology they use is very good and um, the imitations of uh, other people's uh, emails and how they seem to get the uh, terminology right is um, quite frightening nowadays. So, OK, uh, you know, cybersecurity is, is, is going to be an issue for many, many business. What what sort of policy would you be suggesting to the construction, the contractor to, to have on place? What what would you what would your advice be there? I think contractors and and, and beyond is around uh, the, the cyber cover is uh, fairly standard. You're, you're protecting against, as I said earlier, the, the two areas, which is the first party attack and the third party attack. The key for us with clients is is making sure that um, Number one, the the underwriters um, understand the nature of the business. It's important that there is a risk management plan in place that demonstrates uh, the security around the IT, uh, how money's are parted with, how many signatories are required, etc. So all those um, situations are um, all that detail is what's important for us to get an underwriter to provide terms. Um, so some organisations have in-house IT. Um, sometimes it's difficult to challenge um, when you talk to IT departments. Uh, they believe that uh, their yeah. security systems are fantastic. So why do you need cyber cover? Yeah. Um, but these guys are um, on the other side. The criminals are professionals. They're mm. making a profession out of it, and they are I'm not going to say they're one step ahead, but they are. They are sharp, and they do find their ways through. So. From from uh, the point of view of what to buy, you are buying a ideally a package cover to protect first party and third party. But the key here is making sure that you can demonstrate to to insurers that um, you are a, a risk worthy of, 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 mm. of being given the cover to the levels that you want as well. Sure. So there's a there's effectively a due diligence exercise, if Very you like, so. over the IT systems. Yeah. And 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 how's that provided? Who provides that? Is that the client provider or is it a third party? Or do the brokers say we'll do that? Or how how's that come together? The, part of it is through a questionnaire yeah. that asks uh, some the, the, the relevant details around you know do you have MFA as an example, 
Um, how do you deal with your accounting? What do you have in the way of uh, firewalls? What systems are you using? Um, some organisations uh, have outside consultants already mm. who are supporting them with yeah. their, uh, their their protections, um, and they are very good at providing a, a resume. So all that, um, as you say, due diligence, uh, using all parties that, that can be involved to, to put a, a, a nice programme together that demonstrates that the uh, risk management that is in place is, is as robust as it can be. What what how do they assess then? Because everybody's going to have quite slightly different systems, and you know, I mean, is it is it a bit of an art as to actually what the premium should be, and 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 is it the size of the company or the areas of work that they do? What what's defining the overall size of this? Size of the company, uh, the potential exposure on um, possibly payments, the amounts that can be paid if you're if you're dealing with. Uh, Someone that says, well, up, up to up to half a million pounds, it's one signatory, sure. as opposed to it's yeah. three signatories. Yeah, sure, sure, it's sure. all those all those layers of, of protection that you have in the business that then give the underwriter the confidence to uh, what put through his own mind what he thinks that that premium is. There aren't any specific rates that right. you would apply, like you would do for employees' liability or, or public liability. So there aren't any specific rates. Yeah, uh, it is an assessment of the of the risk. Mm. But only probably a third have got it at best in, in the industry. There are um, not enough. <laughs> so if, if you look at the survey, it says 34% of businesses um, have have cyber as a as a as a matter in their business continuity plan. So it, it does need it does need uh, improving. It does need something. It's a shame, but that's the way the world is going. I'm afraid, isn't it? Neil, that was helpful, but let me move on. This is moving me into an area that I'm not so familiar with, if I'm honest. Um, it, it's trade credit. You know, what is trade credit insurance and, and how does it work? And, and is there any way of saying there's value there for people? Um, when should they use it? Uh, when's the best time? Um, what's what's out there in the marketplace, you know, to to give comfort to to businesses that are probably growing, looking to expand, and worrying maybe the sort of clients that they're taking on. You know, if you're growing, they tend to be new clients. It's not the existing clients. So, what what is Trade Credit doing? What, what is it doing? It's protecting your outstanding balances. I suppose is the best way to put it. Um, you have uh, a number of uh, organizations that you trade with and at a point in time they not all but most will owe you money and you can insure against that uh, you can insure against that that credit balance and uh, the trade credit policy usually um, is designed to cover you for that we start off with with a whole turnover rather than specific customers sure um, you provide the insurer with um, details around the organisations you trade with, and the more blue chip they are, theory is that the less yeah, risk they yeah, are. Sure. And Carillion uh, comes into mind. But Carillion not... <laughs> comes into mind absolutely. Yeah. Um, and blows away that theory completely. Exactly. Um, but the credit market um, is um, monitoring uh, all their clients uh, on a on a daily basis. So they could have, I could have as an example, a hundred clients. Uh, on the books, all buying a trade credit policy, and all of them may want um, credit with 
Carillion as was. And you get a you'll get a limit uh, depending on your credit arrangements with them. But from a from the credit credit uh, insurers point of view, they're looking at that and saying we've got credit out there now on 100 companies from from, from us um, and others around the market. They could be exposed to 10 or 12 million. Or more. So they're monitoring every day to understand um, how that company's trading, they're, they're following the accounts and everything else that goes with it, like, like, like you would. Uh, and then from that, they will assess how much credit they're prepared to give you uh, on, on each on each on each customer. On each customer. Yeah. OK. So um, as long as um, you follow um, the, the guidelines, which is up to a certain number of days, you have a process in place in your procedures. If at any point that um, uh, goes beyond your credit arrangements and that company then goes bust, the credit policy is there to pay the outstanding balances that you would otherwise have, have recovered. The In the good times, nobody wants credit insurance. Yes. Um, and in the bad times, it's more difficult to obtain yes. because people's uh, balances aren't yeah. as good as they can be. But the um, it's almost a, a, an ongoing uh, process with credit insurance. You monitor it every day because it's part of your accounting systems and everything else that goes with that. So you're monitoring clients. If you want to uh, bring on a new client, as you say, uh, the credit insurer will give you uh, information. Um, you, you'll approach them, give them a limit that you're looking for, and they will give you an assessment as to why or why not you can you can have that level so there is almost a a constant dialogue with your credit insurer um depending on how busy you are and how many trade creditors you have mm. so it is it is a valuable um cover and as i say in the good times uh, people don't tend to buy it mm. uh, and in the bad times it's more difficult to obtain but it, it, if you look at the ons data following the 1.4 decrease in june 2022 monthly construction output decreased another 0.8% in July 2022. This is the second consecutive decrease after seven consecutive months of growth. Um, we've got the Ukrainian conflict. Um, we've got uh, struggles with the cost of materials and obtaining materials. And all these things have inevitable delays on, on the projects that the clients are doing. They're getting pushed out as far as time is concerned to get those contracts completed. So there are pressures all round um, for the for the construction sector. Um, if you look at through 2021, I think 16% of um, all insolvencies um, that, that came through, 16% of them were from the construction industry. Although talking to some clients and, and, and some in the market, they're very buoyant about their, their order book is good. Uh, they've got some good work, uh, but there's a potential, I think, that as we as we move into this situation, the Ukrainian situation doesn't seem to be resolving itself. Um, the labour shortage is, is still a challenge. I think the material costs will continue to cause people a problem and, and the supply of. So in the next coming few months, I'm, I think that we might see this trend of the lack of growth and, and the decline kicking in um, more. So just... Just breaking this down a little bit more, I, I'm coming along as a, a, con, uh, a contractor supplier and I've got a certain number of clients and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for some sort of cover. So 
they're looking at the overall shape of my business, the size of my business, but then they want to look at specific clients I'm dealing with, yes. specific work. Yes. And and it is the premium based on the individual clients that I've got rather than my overall, or am I looking at it as a group policy? You're looking at it as a group policy. Uh, there'll be the the rates will be reflective of the calibre of contractors and clients you're dealing with. Right. So if, if you're only dealing with blue chip, yeah. The theory, and I know we've mentioned yeah. it brilliant, the theory is that the, the, the risk is lower sure. and it will provide a more attractive rate. If you're dealing with much smaller firms, privately owned, whose credit rating isn't as good, sure. the risk is higher, you're going to be attracting a higher rate. Right. And 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 can you get the situation where you exclude certain clients? That, you know, so in other words, you, you, you cherry pick what you want to cover or put on the table you can you can cherry pick and you can say I only want I only want credit cover for three or four organisations. The chances are they're going to be the ones most at risk. True, and Maybe. that's yeah. where the premium doesn't necessarily it reflects enough of a saving for you then not to consider sure. buying a, a larger policy, a, a larger policy for yeah. everything. Yeah. And what you will get is individual organisations within your portfolio. You'll have a different credit limit for each of them. Sure, and where there is. Um, as an example, a delay in filing accounts mm -hmm. and information isn't available. Mm -hmm. the, cre the credit uh, insurers do contact organisations directly and say, can we get a bit of feedback? Can we have? And where there is a reluctance or res resistance, the alarm bells go up a little bit and then you find that um, credit limits are reduced. And in some cases, they're withdrawn until the information I comes to the table that satisfies everybody that there's nothing uh, Untoward. untoward going on so it is totally um you know reactive to a, a situation it's yeah. a live situation yeah you you, you start the year with your policy but things can change on that policy absolutely. throughout during the year absolutely depending on what what is perceived to be the risk for that yeah that point in absolutely. time yeah so you could be told you're not covered anymore on one of your jobs yes because we've got nervousness yeah. about the payment cycle Th there are elements you can build into the policies that give you a little bit of leeway uh that give you a bit of time um, so you don't lose your cover today. Yeah, there might be a thirty-day. Um, what's the what's the um, take-up of trade credit? I mean, you know, I always think it's expensive. Forgive me for being negative, yeah. but uh, you know, I just think, oh, bearing in mind the slim margins for a, a, on a contract, yeah. you think that's another bit of money that's gone out. What what is the take-up? Is there st any stats on it? I mean, it's a bit unfair to ask you that question, but I just wanted is a much take-up, or is I, it? I could get the stats. I don't have them. Mm. Um, the take-up um, probably from certainly from the privately owned businesses isn't. Um, uh, as, as high as it could be. Mm. Uh, people look at factoring yes. uh, as, as, as an option. Yeah. And some people will say that their, their credit arrangements uh, with their clients is, is so good that the chances of them getting a, um, a hit mm. are, are low. So they, they measure that against what potentially. So we do quote quite a few. So they're self-insuring to a degree. They self-insure based on their past History, past history and their relationship with their yeah. clients. So if they've, had, if they've had bad debts yeah. over the last three years, equaling, let's say, 20,000 a year each year, and the cost of buying the insurance policy is, is more than that, yeah. they work on the basis that... Yeah, you do they, see that. You yeah. do see that. You do accept that. 
and um, so we do quote quite a few but uh the, the take-up take is yeah, this high yes it's back to the the overall profitability yeah. and the risk reward of it yeah i get it but again you know if um businesses are trying to start up and they've got a limit on their working capital and they need assurances of some degree maybe that's a price to pay in, particularly in, in the early days i yeah. don't know yeah yeah, that's very helpful on, on that. Um, I don't see a lot of trade credit myself, I have to say. Um, I might see a little bit of invoice discounting, you yeah. know, but um, the, the the sort of the, the well-established companies don't tend to use it, if that's yeah. fair. Yeah. They might need other cover, but not, 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 trade, yeah. not the trade credit. This is an interesting area. We're now moving into insurance in relationship to unoccupied properties. And of course, we we... There's different types of unoccupied properties. There's the um, you know the domestic market that um, you know people have second homes. It's been critical of that. And uh, there's there's others the furnished solidity letting. There's the commercial element of people. You know they bought it. They haven't got a tenant. It's it's left empty for a period of time. They might go for planning. They might be looking for a change of use. What's what's the situation on on uh, on unoccupied properties? Um, big question. Big 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 question. <laughs> Uh, if, if you read the stats, uh, you'll be told that potentially there's around half a million properties that are vacant in England alone. Is that resi? Resi or It's a mix. Yeah. It's a mix. And um, part of the uh, challenge for insurers these days is more, is more around uh, the length of time that they're, they're empty. Uh, holiday homes uh, are treated differently. Uh, because there is that uh, they they do get used. There yes. is occupancy at times. Yes. So, yes. so there are uh, yes. insurers. If they're doing your main residence, they will cover your holiday home. There are specialist markets also just for holiday homes. Yes. But unoccupied properties are becoming more of a um, uh, a challenge for insurers, uh, and many of them um, won't provide uh, any cover at all, uh, especially if a property has been unoccupied for a long time. Uh, and there's no sign of it potentially becoming occupied. Uh, from a, the, the commercial premises, some of the buildings that are unoccupied now are probably, I'm not going to say not fit for use, but with people wanting uh, more modern wiring and, and, and all the things that go with all that, um, landlords are struggling to, to, to let them. So what we're seeing is for, for us, anything that's unoccupied, um, any building or premises that's empty for more than 30 days is, is, is the usual uh, benchmark. That's the one I was going to say, yeah. is it this 30 day rule? 30, yeah. 30 days, some are 60, yeah. some are 90. Okay. Um, if you are a, a landlord and you have a portfolio uh, with, a, with a range of buildings on it and you've got a few that are unoccupied but the majority are occupied, mm. you're going to get more cover and more leeway than you would do if you were coming to me with a standalone unoccupied premises that, that needs some cover. Insurers do limit the cover. Uh, generally, it's uh, fire, aircraft and explosion. Um, it's, it's the cover, so you get no, no water damage type covers. They're expecting all the services to be closed down, yeah, sure. switched off. So really, you're, you're protecting against fire. Yes. Uh, some insurers do provide a bit more than that especially if you as i say if you have a portfolio yes uh, so you'll get you'll get some more cover and depending on where the premises are um, insurers want um, again a, a bit of a risk management plan how often is it inspected have all the services being cut off 
um, what security is in place? Have you uh, yes. sort of put the uh, alarm systems, alarm systems yeah. in? Uh, because sometimes when the premises become empty, the, the alarm system gets closed off as well. Uh, protection are over the doors uh, and uh, over windows to avoid vandalisms, mm. people breaking in, squatters. Mm. And then ultimately, once you get that situation, you find that there is extensive damage that isn't covered. Mm. Uh, but the risk for the insurer is the fire, because that's the bit they are protecting, that, that they're, giving, oh, they're giving cover for. So yeah. a lot of the vandalisms and the, and the damage uh, is, 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 is just that. But really, what the insurer is, what you're protecting against is, is, a, is a fire claim. Mm. Um, the, when you look at some of the buildings, uh, they start to get, they look run down. Foliage is growing out of the, the, the roof areas or the mm. gutterings. Mm. So the, the 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 market, be it for houses, uh, be it commercial premises, uh, pubs, office blocks are slightly uh, better insofar as that in, in in some cases they're not fully unoccupied. Yeah. So you get that that mm. element of there's yeah. an occupancy, yeah. there's some security guards there yeah. managing yeah. The, the location. Yeah. So it, it, for insurers, it really is around what protections are in place, where is it, how is it being managed as an unoccupied building, and what are the plans for it. Mm. The, the other thing to remember it as well is if you are uh, intending to knock the building down and, and replace it with okay. something else. Yeah. Um, you may not want to insure for the full value. No, sure. Uh, an insurer look at it and say, well, it's uh, it's it's due for development. Uh, if it burns down, you're not going to reinstate it. True. So why would you insure for full value? You might only insure for debris removal cover. Yeah. So in effect, to clear the site. Sure. To allow you to do what you're going to do. Yeah. The challenge against that is if there's an if it's either being used. Uh, as a security for something else yes or if it has a loan on it already and the institutions will require yeah they will entire prompt some sort of cover yeah. otherwise they've got no value yeah they? Absolutely. they've lost it in a fire or yeah. whatever damage yeah okay interesting so this becomes a little bit bespoke then doesn't it a little bit it does you know it's each situation has got to be assessed in its own merits for what it is yeah yeah what, what we are clear on is that um unoccupied properties aren't um insurers aren't falling over themselves to write them it's not a, uh, um, yeah uh, sure. but they are bespoke because some will be uh, timber floored some will be concrete sure um so it does all of those factors come into play when you are looking to to provide some cover for an i think i picked up that if you buy a property in auction and you you you, 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 you or you you just you're buying a property and and you just put the deposit down you've really got to have it insured from that point on yeah that there is a, a gap if you're not careful that you know something could happen and you, you might not be covered. Yeah, 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 because the insurable interest changes. Yeah, um, so you should. A lot of people will on exchange on exchange. Make sure you make sure they get some cover. Yeah. Are you able to look at the um, the problem that's out there in the water damage flooding? You know what's happening there? Because, you know, they're still building houses where on floodplains, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, um, amazingly. I know the government stepped in at one step. I don't know where they're where they are with, with that sort of cover. There's, there's two elements there. You've got, uh, I like to split it into two, so you've got the flood situation and then you've got what I would call the escape of water situation. Right. So if, I, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll deal with the flood one first, which is your, your, your natural causes, if I can call them that. Yes, yeah. Um, there are um, certain postcodes that have had 
significant issues with 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 flood and um, insurers treat that now as areas that it's inevitable that it, those areas will flood in the event of you know with climate change and everything else so floodry is a government-backed initiative set up to provide cover for private dwellings built before the 1st of January 2009 to provide cover for homes in flood risk areas. Yeah. Um, so floodry is there to provide cover for um, those properties, that, the dwellings, that private dwellings that can't get the cover. These are so, specifically for people that cannot get cover elsewhere. In other words, they're declined insurance for, or or the cost is too extortionate. I don't know what, so, what, what, so what the, gets the, you into the, that market. The way, the way, the way it works, um, is that you uh, so the insurer will, will give you the cover and then they reinsure it through um, flood oh, right, at, at, at an additional cost. Okay, it comes back into the policy. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, it's a front of house, but they've offloaded yeah. the risk. There yeah. are there are a couple of uh, uh, specialist markets where you can buy uh, flood re, uh, flood cover specifically, and they're they're also available for commercial premises. Ah. Right. So insurers have spent, and more of them are investing in this um, technology to tell them um, where the risk postcodes are as, as far as flood is concerned. And some of them will exclude cover. Some of them will now start applying. We start, we're seeing £5,000 excesses yeah. on, okay. for flood uh, on, on, on domestic and, and commercial properties. Um, my challenge back to that is uh, I understand and appreciate that this technology and the investment in it is uh, does what it does. Um, and you see it, you know, if you, when you're watching TV and the weather forecast comes up and there's all that, uh, the, the, the fancy uh, data that, that appears. But I, there are certain situations where I believe that the postcodes are, um, it's broad, but depending on where exactly your property is actually, water doesn't go uphill. Yeah. And um, we do challenge insurers and we have regular conversations around talking to maybe a local surveyor, someone that knows the area uh, uh, far better than maybe uh, an underwriter who's sitting in a, in a completely different location. And we have had success with, with getting either excesses reduced or covers reinstated where you, you can identify that the, the risk isn't actually what it would seem on, mm. on paper. Mm. Uh, but it, uh, the uh, second uh, area uh, for escape of water, and particularly in relation to uh, contractors, is more around the build. Um, so uh, escape of water for me is where uh, you put the uh, mechanical system in place, the M&Es are in place, and the pipes come apart. Uh, during testing and usually it's at the time when the bulk of the build is complete and you're yeah. in that testing yeah. phase ready to, to hand over yeah. and um, they pop and over the weekend no one's monitoring it and you end up with, um, especially on the high rises, a significant water damage claim uh, that can run into, into millions. Does, does that happen? I mean, does that happen very often? I mean, it's happening more and more. Is it? Yeah. And, is it? Um, I thought they might have, um, you know, sensors and stuff. You know, everything now is wired up on a new build, isn't? Aren't they got the protection and things like that? There is the um, the construction industry risk engineers group. Okay. Cyrig, uh, as we like to call it. Okay. Which um, is made up of uh, the, the the leading uh, insurers 
in the market who write uh, construction works cover, so they're covering the build, uh, and particularly around projects yes. where they're writing the larger the larger developments, although they write annuals as well. And that really is a guide uh, on water management uh, that is out there for contractors to, to, to look at. And contractors have their, their, their programmes in place, but because we are starting to see more and more larger losses on the water damage, on, on particularly on the, on the newer developments, um, insurers are starting to want automatic shut-off devices yeah. as part of the build. Mm. And it has it, it plays two parts. There's obviously the build itself before handover, but it also acts as a protection for the property owner Absolutely. going forward. Yeah. Um, so on the larger projects, uh, we are seeing claims. Uh, we're seeing more than the industry would like. Mm. Uh, but what that does then, it has a knock-on effect, and we are seeing higher excesses. Mm. And in some situations, depending on the nature of the of the project and the details around the build, which insurers want to see as part of the mm. uh, option to, to to provide the cover, the excess on water damage could range from anything between fifty thousand and two hundred and fifty thousand, depending on what the insurers believe that 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 exposure might be. So uh, there is more and more uh, work to be done on this, but automatic shutoffs are makes sense, doesn't uh, it? More and more a requirement and will become the norm for a lot of the newer developments that are going up now anyway. Mm. And water can do a lot of damage. And water can do a lot of damage. Which is, it doesn't take long before a little bit of water that's, um, can cause a lot of damage. Neon, you mentioned a couple of terminologies, specifically in the insurance market there. Um, I think it's Paul Ree and um, Flat Ree, was it? Do you mind just, uh, just covering off what those, those stand for? Yeah, sure. They are... Uh, Government-backed insurances, I suppose, is the best term to use. Uh, a backstop, is it? It's a backstop for uh, the fact that those covers uh, are no longer available directly from the insurers. Uh, so where, if I take terrorism uh, as the first example, when insurers withdrew terrorism cover from uh, their programme following the, the, the issues we had in, at 9-11, uh, we needed a a solution a stabilizing because solution, yeah. uh, people needed to have that cover yeah for, for funding reasons and other reasons uh and, and, and flood is the same you can't have people that need mortgages and have mortgages and not be able to get their uh, mortgage or their property devalued in such a way because this cover isn't readily available within the market so the government stepped in uh, and what now happens is that the um government uh in essence, provide the cover at a cost. So it's built into insurance premiums, but an element of that uh, cover uh, premium is then paid back into the government pot and it sits there. And in the event of there either being a, a terrorist situation or um, a, a flood situation, th that money is used to um, yeah, provide out. support and pay out yeah. for, for, the, for the losses that occur. Neon, that, that was excellent. I'm really I know you've been in the industry many, many years. You've seen a lot of changes, and uh, it's great to talk to somebody that's, that's seen it and is sort of advising clients on a day-to-day -day basis. So many thanks for that. So for those that have been listening to this uh, podcast, um, you can get further information if you wish by emailing us on info at mhllp.co.uk. And as always, you can visit our website, which is mha dash uk.co.uk
Thank you very much, Neon. Pleasure. Really, really thank good. you very thank much. You. Thank Lovely. you. Thank you.